Hello and welcome to Fort McMurray Matters. I'm your host, Ryan McNally. On today's show, Thomas Lukasik, the former Deputy Premier of Alberta, responds to the budget released yesterday by the Alberta government. He also touches on a couple of different topics happening now in Alberta's political scene. Joining me on the phone here today is former Deputy Premier Thomas Lukasik. Thomas, how are you doing here today? Doing exceptionally well. Thank you for having me. That's great to hear, Thomas. Uh, Alberta dropped the budget uh, yesterday. What are your initial thoughts on that budget? Well, you know, some surprises um, because of the fact that the budget really uh, contradicts uh, two things. One, um, the campaign platform of UCP, but perhaps even more importantly, uh, Premier Danielle Smith's um, State of the Province address, that that eight-minute address that she delivered um, just a few days ago uh, to to all of Albertans. And the essence of both the platform and her speech were, A, no new taxes um, without a referendum. So that was in the platform. But during the speech, she said that uh, they will be investing any surplus into the Heritage Trust Fund and that they will lower our reliance on uh, natural resource revenue, which, which is technically oil and gas. Well, this budget did have new taxes and there was no referendum. Uh, there were no measures uh, that would lower our reliance on uh, natural resources. As a matter of fact, uh, new rules just came into place that, that make um, development of, of alternative energy uh, very difficult. And um, the money that was put, the $2 billion, into the Heritage Trust Fund was not a surplus, but it was actually money that the province borrowed. So a lot of contradictions. Good thing, I think, is, is and I know a lot of your listeners may not agree, but uh, the increase on, on cigarette tax, you know, we, we refer to them as sin taxes. Um, but that, over a period of time, reflects in lowering the cost of uh, health care and, and hopefully will discourage some Albertans from uh, uh, from smoking, uh, so that's good. Really perplexing the new extra fees on electric cars. I know you can justify it by saying that this is sort of a road work and and it is included in, in gasoline taxes, but not in electricity taxes. But if we want to encourage Albertans, like the rest of the world does, to to start considering um, uh, electric vehicles into the future, um, we should make that as available as possible. So uh, I think this can this warrants some debate as well you touched on a couple points that uh, we're going to talk about a little later on here today thomas but uh, first thing the 367 million dollar surplus it's good to be in the black but uh, what would you use that money for no th- there are a number of things that can be done health care you know for as long as i live in, in, in this wonderful country of ours uh, has always been a point of contention, without a doubt. There was never a point where Canadians said we have a perfect healthcare system. But I have to tell you, I don't, I cannot think of a time where healthcare was in bigger crisis uh, than it is right now. Uh, you know, emergency room wait times up to 14 hours. Um, I would say that the most urgent area into which money needs to be invested right now is primary care which means family doctors and ERs, emergency rooms. Um, So that probably would have been the pressure point that needs to be addressed immediately. 
Um, there is an announcement for a new stall in Children's Hospital in Edmonton, but another one has been scrapped. But building buildings is fine, but you have to fill them with doctors because hospital without doctors is just a pretty building. So um, the, perhaps instead of saving money at this point in time, there are cr- critical points where um, that need to be addressed. Uh, you know, budgets in a way can be um, related to a family budget. And if you have a hole in your roof and water is pouring in, um, at that point in time, you fix the roof. You don't put that money into a savings account. Um, we have several holes in our roof in Alberta right now. But, um, but there, is, um, you know, there is that um, I- insistence on, uh, on not in- investing. Um, the second thing um, that, that should be considered is, is this, this over-reliance on natural resources. And, and I was actually happy to hear Danielle Smith refer to it. And, and I was hoping that she would introduce some measures into our budget for diversified source of revenue. Um, and when she was delivering that state of the province address, you know, I almost thought, thought she's going to say PSD. It was leading towards that. And then in the last minute, um, she didn't sort of complete that speech, didn't finish that, uh, that line. So, um, you know, as Albertans, let's, let's uh, collectively pray that the price of oil stays where it is, because if it drops a little, just a little, uh, we will be in the red. Are you concerned about less money for drought and wildfire contingencies? Well, you know, this sort of ties into this conversation about extra fees for electric cars. Uh, This budget, uh, for some reason, um, is, is, is is a philosophical statement on denying climate change because I, I haven't yet run into one Albertan uh, who has now experienced a, a winter where we haven't had a snow till the end of January. We only had one cold snap. Now in Edmonton, we received a little bit of snow, but we have rivers that are drying out, dugouts that are dry. Southern Alberta is bone dry. Um, we know we will have fires. You know, this is, this is not... Um, this is not uh, reading tea leaves. Uh, this is this is just abundantly obvious. So, budget for natural disaster relief should have been increased this year from last year, because last year it wasn't sufficient enough. We know we will have a summer of fires, um, and yet government drops the budget um, for firefighting and natural disaster uh, relief. So. I'm not sure where the disconnect is. If, if, if UCP government knows something that the rest of Alberta doesn't know about, but definitely counterintuitive. What are your thoughts on uh, the increased investment of about $1 billion for healthcare? Well, that, that is a good investment, but if it goes into primary care, but keep in mind that that doesn't keep pace with inflation and population growth. So, you know, if, if your expenses go up $1,000 a month, but I only increase your pay $500 a month, you're still getting a decrease of, of, of $500 a month. So, yes, there is a monetary increase, but it doesn't actually keep up to inflation and our population growth. Alberta is attracting um, other Canadians and new Canadians into our province because there are jobs here. But those new Albertans uh, require doctors. They go to hospitals. So there is your population growth pressure. But, but inflation alone, what a dollar bought last year 
Um, now that dollar is worth roughly about 97, 96 cents. So this increase actually didn't even keep up with growth. So it is not truly an increase in the budget in healthcare, uh, but it is, it is a decrease. Um, so our frontline medical workers um, will be contending with actually a lower amount of money that they will have uh, at their disposal than they had um, last year. So that, that is important. Another thing that that seems to be omitted in the budget, and, and I'm not sure why, is that there are a number of collective bargaining agreements that are coming to head um, in this coming fiscal year. Several large unions will be negotiating their wages, and there is nothing left for that at all. So um, one would wonder whether the premier wants to keep uh, pay increases at zero, which actually means, again, a decrease because of uh, inflationary increase. Uh, but if that happens in this already strained healthcare system, uh, if we are looking at uh, some massive labor unrest, um, that will not reflect well. So uh, an interesting budget. You know, budgets are never easy. And, and I know everybody always or most people will always complain about the budget because they will never find everything they want in it. But this particular budget was contrary to what the Premier just promised a couple of weeks ago, to the platform of an election that just happened a few months ago. But, but it also misses out on some obvious things that we know will happen, like fires, like inflation, like collective bargaining agreements. Coming up, more from my conversation with Thomas Lukasik is next on Fort McMurray Matters. Welcome back to Fort McMurray Matters. I'm your host, Ryan McNally. We continue our conversation with Thomas Lukasik. Uh, we talked a lot about edu- about uh, health care, but uh, there's also some more money for education, too. Not a lot, just a 4.4% increase, uh, mostly to hire more teachers, EAs, support staff, but also some money allocated for 98 new or modernized schools. Is that good news? It, it, my, my comment will be exactly the same uh, as it as it was uh, about healthcare. Four point four percent. It keeps up with inflation, but not population growth. So, uh, so uh, the fact that they are planning on building new schools that's good. But that means hiring new teachers. You know, an average school will have fifty teachers. Um, where will that money come from for hiring those new teachers? And. Uh, and inflation is about 4%. So it's really flatlining the education budget without allocating additional dollars for additional teachers that will need to be hired to, to populate those, those new schools. So what school boards in turn will have to do is, is, is have institute cuts to find money to hire new teachers for those new schools. That hasn't been uh, considered in this budget. So government is really hoping on at least flatline uh, natural resource revenue or even oil and gas prices increasing because once those schools are built, new additional dollars will have to be found for hiring um, the administrative staff, teachers, teaching assistants, and everything that goes uh, goes along with that. So, you know, one-time spending for building schools is easy. The problem is that the moment you build a new building, new school, new hospital, you have ongoing operating costs, which which usually is 90% payroll, and that isn't built into the budget. 
The personal tax cut for income up to $60,000 being delayed till 2026. Does that concern you? Well, you know, I'm not surprised, and I don't blame uh, Danielle Smith for this. It was a campaign promise. I, I personally never thought that they would deliver on um, uh, at this point in time. Uh, I think at this point in time, uh, cutting taxes is actually counterintuitive. We need those predictable sources of revenue. Uh, we cannot run this province on, on, on uh, fluctuating oil and gas price. So, um, so cutting taxes at this point in time would even further increase our reliance on, um, on natural resource revenue. So I, I think it's a good move. I know everybody, myself included, would love to see a, a tax cut, but the, the, the fact is that the more we cut our taxes, the more we become reliant on, on oil and gas. And, um, and, and that's how you end up with budgets like this. You touched on this a little earlier, but what are your thoughts on Alberta adding a new EV tax? Well, A, it's a problem because uh, they were exceptionally clear, and I think they got a lot of votes in the last election by promising no new taxes or fees unless there is a referendum, and, and I don't recall a referendum on this. So so definitely uh, divergent from the, from their uh, one of their main platform uh, pieces in the last election, which was just a few months ago. But um, it, it really flies against what the rest of the world is doing. You know, uh, you go anywhere um, um, across the world, and, and governments are actually doing anything they can to encourage the switching from carbon-based fuel to um, uh, to electric vehicles. Um, this this particular additional tax uh, is contrary to that. I understand the logic behind it because when you fill up your tank, part of the taxes in, in your in your gasoline go towards infrastructure road maintenance, but your utilities don't. So when you're charging your car, you're technically not paying for the road on which you will be driving. But because of the fact that this will now increase the cost of owning an electric vehicle. Um, it is it is it is something that will be rather discouraging, not encouraging the ownership of one. So it's it's a bit of a, a philosophical uh, philosophical um, argument that we can add here. I noticed one thing on Twitter you did agree with in this budget was the increase on the cigarette tax. Uh, could you elaborate on that? Yes, and you know our government, progressive conservative government, we, we have increased in taxes on alcohol and and and, and tobacco uh, products as well. Um, you know, science will agree with that. Uh, every time you have an increase in taxes, the consumption level over time drops, and and the fewer people that use tobacco products, uh, the, the lower in turn is our cost of healthcare. You know, I don't think anybody still argues that cancer. Um, and, 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 and pulmonary conditions and others are not caused by, by smoking cigarettes. So it, it is a good investment in healthcare in the long term. It's a good thing for our health. But I know that sin taxes are the ones that drive everybody crazy because it's an addiction. And, and now a carton of cigarettes will cost $60 more. I hope it will also address um, youth smoking and, and, and discourage young people from, um, from wasting their money on, uh, on cigarettes. But it, it is something that I support. Uh, it is something that, that science and, and, and uh, healthcare providers support. Um, and, and if you're going to increase taxes, increase them on, on things that are sort of on disposable income. You know, cigarettes at the end of the day are a choice. 
um, driving an electric car, uh, it really isn't. You have to drive one car or another um, in, in Canada. Um, so, so this is something that if you don't want to pay the tax, quit smoking. And I know it's easy for me to say because I don't smoke. Um, but that's what those taxes are, uh, are intended to do. While I have you on the line, I wanted to ask about the recent stance the Alberta Health Minister is making on the uh, federal Pharmacare deal, which we are expecting to hear more about soon. What's your take on the situation? Well, this one is one that boggles everybody's mind. And I have to tell you, um, I have many friends who, who were my PC, progressive conservative colleagues, and now are big ardent supporters of UCP, and even they disagree with it, um, because it is 100% about politics. If it comes from Trudeau, we don't want it. Just give us the money, um, and that's all we want. So it's, it's part of this narrative of, of fighting Ottawa. Uh, the Minister of Health argues that most Albertans have a coverage through Blue Cross. And that is a fallacy that is, that is simply an outright, outright lie. The fact is that Albertans who are affluent or have great jobs where, where benefits are provided through, through their place of employment have coverage. Albertans who are exceptionally poor, those on AISH and, and Alberta Works and a whole bunch of other social assistants have coverage, although not a great coverage, but they have coverage. That is the, the as Ralph Klein used to call it, uh, the severely normal Albertans, that entire middle of hardworking but poor Albertans. They, they have jobs that are not the greatest. They don't offer benefits. Those Albertans don't have coverage, and they simply cannot afford to buy coverage through Blue Cross or any other uh, third-party provider. So uh, to argue that federal government, which buys medications in, in a bulk because they're buying it for all of Canada, realizing lower prices, and a government that wants to deliver a new program, that particularly for diabetics, I have to tell you as a member of legislature, I, I can't count how many calls and letters I have received from, from people and, and, and loved ones of people who have diabetes, where they can't afford the strips, where they cut down their insulin intake, when they end up in emergencies and, and clogging up our hospitals, which leads to, to uh, amputations and, and, and many other medical complications, simply because their diabetes isn't properly medically controlled. How can you say no to that. You know, uh, this is a program that we could participate in federally. Uh, it is it is well intended. Um, and for Alberta to say, give us the money. Uh, and at the same time, arguing that Albertans already have a full coverage, which means they want the money, not for um, pharmacare, but they will spend the money on something totally different. Because for some reason, this government believes that every Albertan has uh, pharmaceutical coverage, which is simply not true. And they know it. We'll be back with more next on Fort McMurray Matters. Thanks for joining us on Fort McMurray Matters. I'm your host, Ryan McNally. We resume our conversation with former Alberta Deputy Premier Thomas Lukasik. I also wanted to ask about the recent announcement from the province banning renewable energy on prime land and declaring no build zones for wind turbines, according to some of the outlets I've seen. Uh, What's your take on that? Well, that has two principal issues in it. Well, number one, much like the electric cars, the whole world is trying to diversify uh, their source of energy and trying to supplement um, the gas or coal-generated energy with as much solar and wind as possible. And I'm not saying switch over, but at least supplement it as much as you can. And, and this particular uh, ruling that just came out, uh, I believe it was on Monday, 
basically opens the barn door wide open to uh, drilling for oil and gas, but virtually makes it impossible uh, for solar and, uh, and wind energy uh, to be set up, which, A, is going to discourage a lot of, and we're talking not millions, we're talking billions of dollars of, of investment into this province. And, and proprietors already are saying that under these new regulations, they simply cannot invest in this province. So that is one critical problem. But the second problem is for landowners. And if you recall back to when uh, Ed Stelmach was the premier, uh, Danielle Smith was the leader of the Wild Rose opposition. She and an MLA by the name of uh, Mr. Anglin spent about a year driving all over the province for some odd reason, trying to convince farmers that government is going to take charge over their land, the land that their families owned for over 100 years, and decide what they can and cannot do on their land. Well, you know what? She was right. Danielle Smith was right. Government did do that, but not at Stelmach. She just did it last Monday. This new regulation, and every single landowner should know that, makes it impossible for them to say no to an oil well being placed on their land, but it also makes it impossible for them to say yes if they want a solar farm uh, or, or, a, or a wind turbine on their land. So it basically sterilizes farmers' land where farmers don't get to choose if they want uh, to enter into, uh, into a lease agreement with an energy provider and not have a well on their land because they don't want to end up with an abandoned well one day, or they do want to use their land for, um, for alternative energy. So uh, this is really counterintuitive to um, you know, the libertarian or very conservative approach to government because you would think that we would allow landowners to decide what they do with the land that they own. But over here, she basically shut down alternative energy development and said to oil companies, put up your wells wherever you want. It's, uh, it's uh, free for all. You've often talked about how Take Back Alberta and the UCP are becoming a bit of a package deal. But we saw this week Premier Smith step away and attempt to separate herself from uh, David Parker and even urged him to, quote, get some help. What are we to make of this situation? <laughs> She said that, but on that very same day as she was pressed by a reporters and a presser, um, her cabinet minister, and not just sort of a you know, low-ranking cabinet minister, but one of the top-tier cabinet ministers, uh, Mr. Drishan, agriculture minister, uh, and Mr. Parker, were actually organizing a town hall meeting together um, to mobilize um, people to develop a political party for municipal elections because they want to have a party system now in, in municipal elections. And, and when asked that question, you know, why are you saying that you are separating yourself from Clark, but in the meantime, your ministers are actually traveling the province and, and a little bit of a dog and pony show and together organizing Albertans for an upcoming uh, municipal election. Uh, she had no answer to that. And to which Mr. Parker tweeted right back at her and said, hey, Danielle, I still love you. And he said, I don't care what she says. I will do what I do, and she needs me. And Mr. Parker, unfortunately, is entirely correct. Uh, Take Back Alberta right now has replaced all of the UCP uh, board of directors members. Every single board member on UCP right now is Take Back Alberta. And, and the scary part is whether you love Danielle Smith or not, 
is the fact that if tomorrow, and, and I mean this, if tomorrow Mr. Parker wants to get rid of Danielle Smith, he has the full control of the UCP board. If he wants her to fail her leadership review, he has the manpower because he has the control of the board uh, to achieve that. So as much as Danielle Smith sort of overtly wants to separate herself uh, from him, she really doesn't have the means because, you know, once you sleep with dogs, you get fleas. And, and, and she embedded him, Jason Kenny, and she embedded him into their party because he was useful in organizing for their leadership races, respectively, um, and leadership reviews, but now they can't get rid of him. And Mr. Parker knows that he has this power, so he simply doesn't care, and he's becoming more and more outrageous. You know, uh, the reason, let's remind the listeners, the reason uh, she now all of a sudden wants to create a little bit of a appearance of separation from him is because now Mr. Parker uh, in social media is accusing Pierre Polyev of, of being involved in an adulterous relationship uh, with his campaign uh, manager and um, accuses his wife of, of various uh, unbecoming things. And he's really turning on the United Conservative Party, claiming that they can't touch him because he actually has receipts. He has proof for what he says. So it puts Danielle Smith in a very uncomfortable position because many UCP supporters are Polyev supporters, and her main guy, who is helping her organize and who controls her board, is now turning on on Polyev and on, on CPP. But, you know, do I feel sorry? No, not at all, because that's what happens. You know, when you turn to people who are radical, unpredictable, uh, at a time when you need their support, don't expect them to just walk away and uh, and disappear on you when they're no longer serving your purpose. She's stuck with him. On the NDP leadership race, we now have five candidates vying to replace Rachel Notley. One of the bigger names out of the blue uh, is Alberta Federation of Labor President Gil McCowan. Uh, does this kind of signal a potential for the NDP to move even further to the left? I don't think so. Um, and, and I'm watching this from, from sidelines. You know, I'm, I'm not an NDP either. I don't have a membership in any political party right now. Um, NDP has to make a very critical existential decision right now. Um, if they choose someone like McGowan um, or, or some traditional um, um, ndp uh, they will end up where they were before 2015. And NDP needs to be reminded that they did not win the 2015 election. We, the progressive conservative, conservatives, miserably lost uh, the, progress, the, the election of 2015. We, we have done everything we possibly could have done to help NDP win that election. But historically, NDP had as few as uh, two MLAs in the legislature. And if they choose someone of the old NDP ilk, they will end up with two MLAs in the legislature. But also at this time, they have an an incredible opportunity to find a leader that still has some of the core values of NDP, but is willing to sort of modernize NDP and, and turn it into a naturally uh, governing party. You know, Albertans have shown that that they will vote for NDP um, if, if NDP presents itself as a credible alternative. And I think they have, uh, they have the possibility to do it, but it will have to be a leader 
that will be well received in Edmonton, well received in Calgary, and and at least um, warmly received in, in in rural Alberta. So that means not turning left, whatever that really means nowadays. But but uh, they need a leader that realizes that for unions to be happy and for Albertans to be happy, business also has to be happy because that's who, who creates jobs. So if you want well-paying, safe, predictable jobs, you also have to have a thriving economy, which means business has to be happy and to strike that balance. This is their, their opportunity. They may not have one like this for many years to come. On that note, the AFL potentially on the left, TBA on the right, What's really left for the center for Albertans? Well, nothing, uh, nothing really, and that is why you know I, when I'm when I'm sort of analyzing um, our political um, chessboard, it, at this point in time, it would be virtually impossible for UCP to become the good old PC party. Uh, it, it has become by far too radicalized. When you have Parker take back Alberta, and and when you have um, Danielle Smith simply grabbing onto the last shiny thing that she has seen, whether it's Tucker Carlson or, uh, or, 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 or Parker. Um, when you, when you have her sort of announcing budgets that don't follow any particular theme, you know, this, one of the problems this government has is that they don't have a theme. We don't know what they stand for. You know, she, I have no idea what she will announce tomorrow. And, and I know that no businessman in Alberta has a clue because she's sort of all over the place. Um, it's, it's, it's a populist government. Um, so for them to become that sort of steady um, center lane government right now is simply impossible. So the, the, I think there is actually larger likelihood of the NDP moving closer to that center and becoming that, that centrist naturally governing party um, than UCP, UCP can right now. And also, see, UCP has a problem that we had, the PC party, that, that oddly enough, and I can't explain why NDP doesn't have. Every time on the right side you have a leader that doesn't make everybody happy, the right side splinters away, and there's always a new party being formed. Alberta first, and then you name it. There was at least a dozen of uh, right-wing parties formed, splintering away from PC. Left a dozen. Doesn't do that. So I think it would be much easier to actually reform the NDP party than it would be um, to reform um, uh, the UCP. Alberta party doesn't exist. It's a coffee club. Uh, doesn't even have a leader. Um, so we, we are looking at a very much American style of politics where there are two parties. And the question will be during the next election, which one is more rational? Which one is more stable, uh, more predictable? And which one has a platform that is good both for business and for Albertans? Thomas Lukasik, the former Deputy Premier of Alberta. Thank you so much for the time here today. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's our show for today. A big thank you to Thomas Lukasik for making the time to chat with us today. That does it for a full week of shows here on Fort McMurray Matters. Next week, it's International Women's Day on March 8th. We plan to have a full week of shows dedicated to highlighting prominent women in the Fort McMurray Wood Buffalo area. We hope you can join us for that. Thank you for listening to Fort McMurray Matters. I'm Ryan McNally. Have a good day.